I'm, I'm with you guys every month. It's uh, something to look forward to, just being able to um, partner with the organizations around here. They're doing some good, and especially with a church uh, like Fellowship that just got devastated by those floods there a few weeks ago. So thank you for all that, that give towards Dollar Club. It is uh, having a huge impact in our community. Well, before we get to the message, I want to give you guys just a quick update on some things going on around here. Uh, throughout this whole last year, we've done our best to try to keep uh, informed, and I think the, the, the uh, word for the year has been flexible, that we have tried to remain flexible to the ebbs and flows, the comings and goings of all this stuff with the pandemic. And based on uh, the ex the, uh, some advice from the experts, the health experts and health officials, we've been able to as you see, gradually increase uh, the capacity in here in the auditorium and also in our Ridge Kids. And we are thankful and hopeful that, that we can continue to walk down this path. I uh, just want to thank you guys for being incredibly um, generous towards us and, and patient as we've kind of navigated these waters. But I am thankful that we will be able to continue to increase our capacity here on Sunday morning. And along with that, there's some good news that we're going to be able to hold our Good Friday service here in the auditorium uh, we had put it online only for a little while, but now that we're able to increase the capacity inside of our auditorium, we're going to have it here on Friday, uh, April 2nd, here at 7 o'clock. But if you can't make it out here, you can also uh, join us online. But the Good Friday service has always been just a powerful time during Holy Week to prepare our hearts to be able to celebrate and to worship uh, our risen Savior on Easter. So make plans for that. Put that on your calendar. Plan on being here Friday night at 7 o'clock. And then let me pray for us before we get... God, we thank you. Uh, thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for your kindness and your goodness to us. Um, and God, now as we open up your word, we open up our hearts and our minds to hear from you and to receive what you want us uh, to get out of your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are in week three of this series called You Are Welcome Here, where we are looking at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit inside the life of a believer. And last week, we looked at the kind of life that the Spirit wants to guide us towards. In Galatians 5, it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that, that as he has um, leadership of our lives, that is the direction that he wants to lead us in. And yet sometimes, maybe oftentimes, if we're, off, if we're honest with ourselves, that's not really what marks our lives. And maybe you're here this morning and you are exploring the Christian faith. And for you, one of the biggest hangups that you have towards the Christian faith is the behavior of Christians. That you've been around Christians who are mean and spiteful and impatient and unloving. And you look at them like, where's the disconnect? I mean, why would I make the sacrifice or why would I do that if it doesn't make any difference? Or maybe you're here and you're a believer and you look at your own life and there's some disappointment there. There are disappointment because there are some things that just kind of get stuck. There are times um, in my life that I'm surprised that there's still some lingering jealousy towards people when they have success and I don't. I'm saddened at the anger that I sometimes direct towards my kids. Like they, they'll spill a drink and I yell at them like they just revealed this deep character flaw, even though I spill things and nobody yells at me. So why is that still there? I, there are still seasons that I go through where, where it seems like my cynicism outpaces my compassion. And I'd hope that that wouldn't be the case right now. So do you ever find yourself disappointed 
with the, the seeming lack of progress that you see in your life. Or, or maybe even worse than that, it, you're no longer disappointed that you don't see progress. You, you just kind of said, well, I guess this is my lot in life. I guess there's not, I'm not really going to see victory or change in my life. So what do we do with that gap between what the Spirit promises to do in our lives, that, that fruitful life, and the life that we actually live? How, how do we actually see lasting and radical change in our life? Well, that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. Uh, we'll be in Ephesians chapter five, if you wanna turn there. And I, I think this passage of scripture that we're going to, to cover this morning is probably the most important and most practical way for us to really understand how do we have this lasting change and, and actually experience the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So Ephesians five, we'll pick up in verse 15. Paul says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Paul's saying that if we want to experience that full life that Jesus offers, if we want to experience that fruitful life that God has for us, then we need to be careful in how we live. That, that the path that actually leads to that kind of life, it's pretty narrow. And it takes a measure of precision in our life. And it takes an attention to detail if we're actually going to experience this fruitful life. Uh, back in the Vietnam War, um, landmines were often used to, to prevent um, attacks at night. That the soldiers would go out during the day and they, they would bury um, landmines and then cover them up. And they would leave this, this small, narrow path through which they can get back to their camp or escape if they need to. So they, they were pretty motivated to remember where that map is and what that path of escape would look like. And when Paul is saying these days are evil, he's letting us know that, that life looks more like a minefield than it does a playing field. That, that there are these things in life that can destroy your life, destroy your testimony and your witness. It, it can have a huge impact on your family's life. There are so many things in this world that are luring us away from the path that actually leads to the full life that we want. So we have to be careful. And Paul says, don't be foolish, but live wisely. Being foolish is being oblivious to the evil that's around you or the temptations that are around you. Foolish is like walking through a landmine or a minefield with a blindfold on. Foolishness sounds like, you know, that could never happen to me. I, I'll be careful. I'll, I'll never let it get that far. Being wise means that, that we are aware of the pull that this world has on us. Being, being wise means that I'm aware of the weaknesses in my life and the things that, that often tempt me. It means that we have our eyes wide open of, of, to, to the power of sin. And we make sure that we stay on the narrow path that leads to the full life. Paul goes on and he says, not, not, you need to act wisely. He says, but don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Paul says, keep, keep the end in mind. Don't mindlessly waste your life ch chasing after these counterfeit pursuits. He said instead, no, you need to understand God's plans for your life. You need to understand the will of God for your life. He has big dreams for you as a believer. He wants you to know him. He wants you to, to love him and to, to walk with him so that he can shape your life to look more like Jesus. He has gifted you and, and he has marked the steps of your life 
that lead to the full life. And Paul is telling us that there is a path that God has marked out for us, and we need to make sure that we understand the will of God. Discovering the will of God for your life takes time. He reveals so much of his general will for all of us in Scripture, so we need to spend some time in Scripture. Um, we need to spend some time discovering how it is that he's wired you. What, what are your passions? How, what are you, what, what's your personality like? How, and how has God wired you so that you can live for him? It takes time talking with other trusted believers because sometimes they speak into you and reveal a little bit about who God has wired you to be as well. Discovering and doing the will of God um, is the most important thing that you can figure out in this one and only life that you have. And then we come to Paul's final description of how we walk through life. And I don't know of a more important verse than this one right here. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the Ephesian, the Ephesian um, community, they loved their wine. They had these beautiful vineyards that surrounded their town and they worshiped the god Dionysius. He was the god of drunkenness. He, he was kind of the, the, the Mardi Gras god and they would throw these wild parties and that was how they worshiped this god. And so Paul was telling them, you need to come out of that. You need to come out of, of the, these drunken parties. And this is not a prohibition against drinking an alcoholic beverage. This is a prohibition about being controlled by alcohol. Because why? It, he says it leads to this ruined, wasteful life that will not lead you down the path that God wants you to walk down. Instead, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't be filled with alcohol. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is a command for every believer. So, so what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Let me first say what it doesn't mean. Paul is not saying that we need more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That the moment that you place your faith in Christ and you are converted from an old creation to a new creation, Scripture says that, that the, the Holy Spirit seals that salvation. That the moment of salvation, we have all of the Holy Spirit that we will ever need or ever have to have. Secondly, it's, it's not having an extra dose of the Spirit either. Some, when they come to this passage, they, they will teach that this filling of the Spirit is when you get the, the sign gifts in your life. Oftentimes, when you read through the book of Acts, you, you will come across this phrase that they were filled with the Spirit, and then there was some kind of miraculous act that followed it. It's actually a, a different Greek word than we see here. In, in the book of Acts, it's the word pimplimi, and it's never used as a command. We are never commanded to be pimplimied by the Spirit. That kind of feeling is something that, that God does with certain people at a certain time for a certain purpose. And there's some debate these days about whether or not God still does that or not. Personally, I believe that he can and that he does, but that's at his discretion on how he does that kind of feeling in somebody's life. The, the word that we have here is the word plurao, and it means to be filled to the brim. This is the command that we are to chase after if we're gonna be filled with the Spirit. It means to be filled to the brim. It means to be controlled by. It means to be dominated by. So much so that it's evident to the people around us. So if you're around somebody who is filled with grief, it's clearly evident what's going on in their life. You can see it in their face and in their actions. If someone is filled with anger or rage, we see that. If someone is filled with joy, it's easy to see when somebody's filled with joy and they're just joy-filled people. And when we are filled with the Spirit, we let him 
control. We let him influence. We let him motivate and guide the direction of our lives. And it's clear to see to those around us that we are controlled by the Spirit. I, I don't want to get too uh, grammatical here, but it's important here. What the, the, the tense of this verse actually implies that this filling is an ongoing, never-ending kind of filling. It literally reads, go on being filled continually with the Spirit. So we are baptized by the Spirit once, but we are filled by the Spirit daily, probably even a moment-by-moment kind of thing. So the question is no longer, do, do you have all of the Spirit? The, the question really becomes, does the Spirit have all of you? Here's how I would say it. Being filled by the Spirit is not getting more of the Spirit. It's surrendering more of me. Surrender is the key to a consistent spiritual growth. And that should be the norm in the Christian life. It's this idea that I'm making every area of my life open and available to his control. When you have guests come over to your house, you probably do um, what we do. You, you try to make the house look better than it actually is. Like you, you pick up everything off the floor, you, you close the, the uh, bedroom doors, especially if you have teenagers. And, and the, the last, the, like the last minute, you see them pulling in the driveway and whatever is laying around, you pick it up and you throw it in the closet so that nobody can see anything. And I think a lot of us try to take that approach in, in our spiritual lives as well. That, that we try to put on a face that life is actually better than it is. But the Holy Spirit is not a guest that just pops in. He has taken residence in our lives. And when Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, he's in essence saying, open up the doors to every room in your life. Let him have free reign. Let him do whatever he wants. Uh, open up the closet. Open up the junk drawer. Let him see everything in your life. That is the only way to real freedom. That's the only way to lasting change and radical change that we want. So as you look at your life, what's the area of your life that, that you need to open up to him? Maybe it's a sin struggle of some kind that, that you've given him every other, you've given control of every other area of your life, but there's this one pet sin of yours and you kind of hold it behind your back. And you're holding on to it either because it still gives some enjoyment or pleasure or, or maybe you think that you should be able to change when you're in, that you should be able to control this when you're own. And it's the one thing in your life that you're holding from him. It's the one thing that you're trying to hide from him and it's keeping you from being filled by the Spirit. And, and if you think about it, it's kind of a foolish idea anyway. It's like we, there's this omniscient God who knows everything about you and we act like he can't see. Was like, hey, Chad, what you got behind your back there? Oh, nothing, nothing here, nothing to see here, nothing to see here. And we hold this thing from him. Maybe for you it's not a sin struggle right now, but it's a relationship. And you're holding on to bitterness and hatred towards someone else. Or, or it's maybe a, a petty rivalry that you have with a coworker or, or a neighbor. And you've not turned over control over that relationship and given that over to him because maybe you want to see him get justice or whatever it is, but it's the one thing, again, that, that is keeping you from being filled by the Spirit because you're not letting him control it. Or maybe it's your money. This is often the last thing that we actually hand over to him. In Scripture, we're commanded to be generous toward God's kingdom and towards others, but oftentimes 
fear or, or greed or insecurity cause you to, to close your hand around. It's like, no, I, I think I'll just control my money. You, you have everything else, but you don't have this. So what is the area of your life that you're currently hesitating to hand over to the Spirit's leading and control? God has a wonderful plan for your life. We, we talk about taking next steps in your journey with God. He has more steps planned for you in your spiritual journey. He knows your heart. He knows where you are, and he knows what's left. And what Paul is saying here is that to the extent that, that we keep certain things, that we close certain doors um, to the power of the Spirit, we will continue to leave these, lead these stagnated, stunted spiritual lives. But to the extent that we are willing to surrender, to, to the extent that we are willing to throw open the doors of every part of our life to the lordship and the leadership of the Spirit, we will actually experience progress. We, we will experience lasting change and freedom from some of the things that, that have held us back for years for some of us. So how do we do that? How do we place ourselves into the control and the power of the Spirit? How do we fuel the Spirit's uh, lordship in our lives? Well, well, Paul closes out this, this passage of Scripture, and he gives us four ways that we place ourselves into the flow of the Spirit, and it leads to this kind of lasting change. He says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So quickly, I want to give us four ways that we can be filled and we can experience the work of the Spirit in our lives. So we can have this transforming power in our lives. The first is that we are called to live in community. Paul says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. The, the Christian life, uh, the, the fruitful Christian life can't be lived in isolation. We are called to live together. And I think that, that's some of the uh, struggles that we've had this past year is that we've had too much isolation and we've probably experienced some of that spiritual stagnation as a result of it. But we are called to gather together. And when we gather together, Scripture says, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there with you. That as we gather together, the power of the Spirit begins to work in our lives. That's why we gather here on a Sunday morning. That's why we gather together outside of here in, in small groups. We, we need some people around us that, that can stir us up towards the things of God, that we need to have people in our lives that are close enough to us that they can see by the look on our face or by our demeanor, those times where we need encouragement or we need some prodding or we need some, some kind of correction in our lives. Each of us need a group of believers in our lives that we are meeting with regularly for the sake of remaining connected to the power of the Spirit. If you don't currently have that in your life, here's what I can predict for you. You will remain blind to the areas in your life that you have not yet surrendered, and you will experience longer seasons of spiritual dryness, and you will have longer seasons of stagnation or bondage in some areas. We were never meant to do life alone. It's why we keep reminding you over and over and why we have to be reminded ourselves over and over that we need to put ourselves in community to be, to be able to experience and to fuel the, the Spirit's fire in our lives. The second thing that we are called to do is to worship authentically. Paul says, and making music to the Lord 
in your hearts. Worship should mark our lives. And, he, and he's not necessarily talking about uh, only singing. Uh, he, what he's talking about is this attitude to the heart. He, he, he's talking about this joyful response to God's grace and his goodness in our lives. That, that takes some, some prep work to be able to do that. How often do you sit in silence and just stand in awe of God's mercy and God's grace and his goodness in your life? It's easy to get busy and to get distracted and just to, to go throughout our days without worshiping our God. But when we consider the fact that there is this perfect and holy and just God who says, not only will I withhold the punishment that you deserve, that your sin deserves, that's mercy. Not only will I withhold that punishment, but also give you eternal life. And, and I'll give you a God to help you walk through this earthly life. But when we think about that, when we ponder that kind of goodness, that, that should bring within us joy and worship and praise that is obvious to the outsiders. A true worship requires some heart work and it requires some silence and some solitude and some reflection on our part. And Paul says that the Spirit's work in our lives is fueled by that kind of personal, heartfelt, authentic worship. The third thing he says is that we need to express gratitude. He says, give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, a, a grumbling spirit or an entitled spirit is not really compatible with the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of the disciplines of a, a spirit-filled, spirit-led believer is that they develop this habit, they develop this discipline of walking through life filled with gratitude and, and recognizing the, the Lord's provision, that, that you actively look for the good things in your life and return thanks to God for those, for the unexpected phone call from a friend, and you turn that back to praise and thanking God, like, God, thanks for the reminder of your love for me through the love of a friend. Or, or for sunsets, or, or kids' laughter, or a good meal shared with friends, that, that you look for these small things as you walk through your day, and not only do you internalize that and feel the gratitude, but then you externalize that and you verbally express thanks to God for his goodness. And Paul says that the Spirit can do a lot of good work in a heart that, that is shaped and softened by gratitude towards God. And then the last thing he says is, that we need to serve others. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting means that, that we make ourselves lower, that we choose to lower ourselves and to elevate the needs of somebody else above our own. Why? Not, not because they deserve it, but we do it out of reverence for Christ. We, we, when we consider how he stooped low and he met our deepest needs, then we live a life in response to that. That we serve the Lord, that we revere the Lord as we submit and serve the other people in our lives. That he came and he set the example for us to follow. If I am a follower of Jesus, then I am a follower of one who came and bent down and served others. After this verse beginning in 22 and going down, Paul begins to describe what this spirit-filled service and submission looks like in, in marriages and in families, and in the workplace. And as I 
humbly serve and I love the people around me, I, what I'm doing is I, I'm putting myself in alignment with the flow of the Spirit and it fuels His work in my life. There's no singular moment where you experience the fullness of the, of the Spirit and then from then on you, you just um, stay on this all-time high that never fades. And I think this is by God's design. He wants us to be aware of our moment-by-moment -moment dependence on him. And instead, what we need to do is to pray, God, fill me. Fill me for this moment, for this hour, for this day. Fill me as I'm facing this challenge. Fill me as I'm having this difficult conversation with a coworker. I wanna be used. I, I wanna be available to you. And so I deliberately make myself dependent upon you. Spirit lead. Spirit control my actions, control my words. And to the extent that we will engage in these practices, to the extent that, that we will engage in making sure that we are surrounding ourselves with other believers, that we are gathering together in community, that we are spending the time to shape our hearts, so that we live in worshipful response to God's goodness in our lives, that, that we till up the soil of gratitude in our hearts. And then we begin to serve others. To the extent that we will do those things, we will place ourselves under the power of the Spirit and we will begin to see that kind of lasting change in our lives. I wanna give us just a few minutes this morning um, to be able to consider what, what is that area of your life where you need to experience the fullness of the Spirit. I'm gonna give you a few minutes to your, to your own to, to kind of consider, is there a room, is there an area of my life that I have a closed fist around that I need to open up to the control of the Spirit to begin to see some freedom? I'll give us a couple minutes and I'll close this in prayer. God, I thank you for the truth of Scripture. I, I, I thank you that even though there is a gap sometimes between what you want for my life and what I'm experiencing in my life, that through the power of the Spirit, through the filling of the Spirit, through a heart that is open and surrendered to your good plan and your grace, that, that we can experience lasting change. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to do the, the hard work, the, the heart work of recognizing those areas that, that maybe we have not allowed you access to. And we can turn that over to you, invite you into those areas and trust and know that you will lead us to a full life, to a fruitful life if we will surrender our lives to you. Thank you for the power of the Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.